Welcome to Crosswalk Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Crosswalk Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. Take your Bibles and join us today in Romans chapter 1 as Pastor Mitch Pridgen continues his teaching through this New Testament book. Verses 9 and 10, Paul tells them how their faith motivates him. Look at what he says. Look at verses nine, verse 9a and the second part of verse 9. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Paul's. First two parts of that verse. Number one, for God is my witness. Regardless of how you might want to interpret this statement, this is an oath. Paul appeals to God as to the truth he is about to declare. He's saying, what I'm about to say to you, I say before God as a witness. And so he warned his readers to be fully persuaded, fully persuaded of his sincerity and therefore in the form of an oath without violating Christ's prohibition of such. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, he talks about swearing. Paul is in effect saying, before God, my heart stands judged according to this matter. There's nothing wrong with that. He's speaking, first of all, apostolically, correct? He's being led by the Holy Spirit. And this would, what would that do to his readers as they're reading this? As they read that verse, as God is my witness. That just adds gravity to what he's about to say. It adds tremendous weight to it. By virtue of his position as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And secondly, he says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. What in the world is he saying? Serve in my spirit. The gospel of his son. What exactly is Paul saying? It must first be seen in context of how he opened this verse. First, the whom Paul speaks of, we know is God. And so Paul's service is to God. He can appeal to God as his witness because it is God he serves. So Paul is, you'll recall from verse 1, a doulos of Christ or a slave of Christ. Paul is not appealing as the unregenerate do to the God they do not know. You'll hear people say all the time, and forgive me for saying this, even using this terminology, well, I swear to God. For an unregenerate person, that means absolutely nothing. As God is my witness to an unregenerate person, what does that mean? It means absolutely nothing. Because there is no relationship. You wouldn't swear anyway, but you might would say, as God is my witness, if and truly you know him personally, and you're willing for your words and what you're about to say to stand in judgment by him in that moment, but they don't know him. They're already under his wrath. And they're trying to call upon him as a witness in regards to their own regeneration. Oh, he will witness it. He will witness it with them one day. So he appeals to God because he knows God. Quite the contrary, Paul not only knows him, but serves him even more. Paul serves him with his spirit. 
And Paul uses the word spirit here intentionally. And it is, the, it is a derivative of the word pneuma in the Greek, which means breath, wind, or spirit. And it implies strongly that Paul's service is not... Here, here's what it means. It means that Paul's service is not merely an outward... Um, not, a, just a, not an outward expression, is what I'm trying to think of here. An outward expression, but that which is deeply rooted and seated in his heart. In other words, I just don't serve God flippantly, externally. I serve Him from the very core of my existence. That's the expression Paul is, is rooted and seated in his heart, his services. Paul doesn't wear a mask of religion, as Calvin said, like false apostles or imposters who live two lives. They're one thing on the outside and completely another thing on the inside. He testifies that from the heart he serves his Lord. And this adds weight to how he opened the verse. So Paul's service is specifically mentioned here as in the gospel of his son. And here's one of the many names given the gospel, the gospel of his son. Now, some interpretations of this verse, like the one we find in the New American Standard Bible, if you have that version with you, it inserts the word preaching or proclaiming. And you'll notice in your Bible, if you have the New American Standard Version or Bible, that preaching is in italics, not parentheses, but in italics. What does that mean? When you read your Bible and see something in italics, what does that mean? That means that word is not in the original, the original text they used, not the original, we don't have the originals, but was not in the text they used for translation. That word is inserted, and they're letting you know that that is inserted to what? To bring coherency and understanding to the text. And it's in context of what's being said there. So... The word preaching or proclaiming is inserted between in and the gospel. And this serves as a clarification of what Paul is saying and certainly serves the context of the whole paragraph, which if you look down at verse 15, he closes with expressing his eagerness to do what? To preach the gospel. So there Paul does actually use the word preach the gospel to them. So the God Paul serves by preaching the gospel of his son is the witness to the truthfulness of what Paul is about to say. And what exactly is that? Look at verse 9c, the last part of verse 9, and verse 10. He says here, I'll read the whole verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. And look at this. That without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Let's look at this for a second. What is Paul's disposition towards these precious saints in Rome? What is Paul's disposition? Well, besides thankfulness for the steadfastness of the faith that we read in verse 8, now he mentions something else. Number one, he mentions incessant prayer. He says, without ceasing. Do you think he's just flippantly using words? Now, do I mean that Paul walks around 24-7, you know, that's all he's doing, he's not looking where he's going? He just, no, incessant means that what, what, what remains at the forefront of his mind daily are the, is the welfare of these saints. And as often as 
it, the, the Spirit of God moves upon him, he is willing to do what? To pray for them. What a lesson this is for us. Incessant prayer. This is something the apostle took very seriously. For example, give you some illustrations of this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes to the, to the Christians in Ephesus. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then in Philippians 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, as often as it brought to his remembrance, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer, all making my prayer with joy. In Colossians 1, 3 and 4, he says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And then to the precious saints in Thessalonica that I just referred to a moment ago, Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. What is Paul doing for believers? Praying incessantly. What does that say to us, church? What should we be doing? Not just for, not just for our saints across the, around the world, yes, uh, certainly, but for one another, we should be praying incessantly. I, I, am, I am persuaded and convinced that our disposition towards one another and towards other Christians, regardless of whether they are part of our church or anywhere, would be drastically changed and richly enhanced if we incessantly prayed for one another. <coughs> incessantly prayed for one another. We see from these examples that Paul was not only apostolic in authority, but was very pastoral in his care for the churches. He didn't wear his apostolic authority as a badge saying, look at me. Look, you know, he didn't come into a city with a badge that said, Paul the Apostle, and have that business cards printed so he could hand everybody. He came as a slave of Christ, as a servant of Christ, a minister of the gospel, a messenger of the glorious gospel of God's Son, not drawing attention to himself, but bringing men to Christ. And he came in humility. Pastoral care. That's the whole point here is humility. In Philemon, Philemon is only one chapter. In Philemon 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes to his friend. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. I wonder what it would do if we, our first conversation with our brothers and sisters in Christ on the phone or in a letter or meeting them face to face, we look at them and say, I always honor make mention of you in my prayers. Would that not change everything? Oh, brother, I do not cease praying for you. Sister, I do not seek, cease praying for you. Because your faith and your, your love Encourage me gratefully, and I'm thankful for that, and I don't stop praying for you. Then there's a desire to meet them face to face. So Paul says there's two things. He has incessant prayer, and secondly, he has a desire to meet them face to face. Asking, he says, asking that somehow by God's will I may know at least I may now at least succeed in coming to you. You'll notice in Paul's statement something very important here, people. Very important. Part of Paul's prayer 
is for God according to His will to allow Paul to get to Rome. Evidently, considering what he says in verse 13, Paul had previously tried to make plans to get to Rome. He says something parenthetical in verse 13. You notice in your Bible it's actually in parentheses, even in the English Standard Version. But thus far have been prevented. What is it that has prevented Paul from getting to Rome? Well, part of the answer is found later in chapter 15 in verse 20 of this book. Paul explicitly tells his readers that it is his, quote, ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest he build on someone else's foundation. Notice two things. Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel, but listen, to do so where no one else had labored. In other words, where the name of Christ had not been preached, where they did not know the name of Christ. Paul was a missionary par excellence. He loved going to a place where they had not heard of Jesus. The preacher walks into Mars Hill, onto Mars Hill, and begins to preach the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And secondly, he did not have any desire or intention to labor in another man's vineyard, so to say, where Christ had been preached and a solid foundation was laid. Paul preferred not to minister there. Now let me interject something here. Paul had no problem, listen church, Paul had no problem exercising apostolic authority to correct someone's erroneous teaching and false doctrines, even in places where maybe he had not planted the church. Or maybe where they had not met him. However, he had no desire to merely pay, pay social visits to places where others were laboring. While there were other places yet to hear the gospel. In other words, he wasn't looking for his vacation in Italy. When he visited Rome. So he could buy postcards and mail them back to Jerusalem to all his friends. With this said. Back in verse 11 of chapter 1, Paul makes his readers aware of the fact that in the event of a visit, there would be a benefit for them. He writes that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. And Paul's statement here very likely refers to being spiritually strengthened or to spiritually strengthening the saints rather than just simply imparting some charismatic manifestation. Paul may very well be speaking of his doctrine. He may be speaking of his prophecy, which he knew came to him by God's Spirit, acting upon him as an apostle. In other words, Paul doesn't line everyone up, lay hands on them, slay them in the Spirit, and get them all to speak in tongues and prophesy. That's not what he's talking about. And I think this interpretation is borne out in what Paul writes next in verse 12. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's intention in visiting the Roman Christians was not to set himself up as a charismatic celebrity, dishing out one sign gift after another so people would be drawn to him or be carried away in the pride of their own charismata or their own gifts. There's a strong air of humility in what Paul writes here. While he is an apostle of Jesus Christ with all the authority, with all the authority vested by Jesus Christ in that position, Paul acknowledges something here. He says, when I come to you, your faith is encouraged. My faith will encourage you and what? 
your faith will encourage me. I need encouragement. And when we come together, I am mutually... Does that not happen here when we gather together on Sunday? I, I pray that it does. I hope that you are encouraged when you come. I hope that you are. I really hope that you are, or I'm failing. But I want you to know, not only is it my intention of encouraging you and strengthening you, but by being with you, I am, I am also encouraged and strengthened. I am blessed by being with you. I look forward to being with you and spending this time with you. That's Paul's intention. Paul acknowledges that he needed encouragement. That he needed strengthening. The benefit, he says, is mutual. In verse 13, and I've already addressed this verse, but there's another part that we need to see, Paul's intention. In order, in visiting Rome, in order that I may reap, he says, some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul had little to no time for that which would prove to be unfruitful. In John 15, 16, the Lord Jesus told His apostles this. Listen to what Jesus said. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and do what? Bear fruit. And that your fruit shall abide. In other words, I'm calling you for one purpose, apostles. Go bear fruit. Don't waste your time. Go bear fruit. And that fruit is to abide. So Paul's statement lays to rest any doubt to the Roman, the Roman believers may have entertained as to whether Paul had anything to offer them. When he says, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, he is in effect saying, my visit will be as fruitful to you as it has been in other places I have visited and preached the gospel. See, even in spite of the turmoil and the persecution that followed him wherever he went, the gospel was still fruitful. There were still believers. Ephesus still had a strong church. In fact, Timothy pastored there. The last of the living apostles, Apostle John, ministered there. And Paul had been there and had established that church in doctrine and had to leave because of a riot. And yet the church remained and remained strong. I have something very important that I, I wanted to to give you here. I, I have, if you can give me five minutes, I'll try to move through this. I know it's warm in here. I'm about to burn up and I see some of your eyes getting heavy. Sorry the air conditioners are not running. You wouldn't think we'd need them after the last couple of days, would you? Go back to verse 10 for one second because this, is, this, this will help somebody, I believe, this morning. Or I would not press the issue. I would just right now land this plane and say, God bless you, let's go home. There's another way of looking at Paul's desiring to visit the Roman believers in verse 10 and his being prevented from doing so. There's the whole role of something we know as providence. Listen, church, please listen to this because I'm, I'm doing this intentionally. There is the role of providence in such matters. As a reformed evangelical believer and pastor, my definition of providence is framed by the testimony, number one, of God's word, even though that word is not found explicitly in the scriptures per se, 
and is framed by the testimony of God's word first and foremost, and then secondly, by Reformed confessions and theology. In fact, the Baptist Confession of Faith in chapter 5, paragraph 1 to 5, is providence in this manner. Quote, God the, God, the good creator of all things in his infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by his wise and holy providence to the end for the which they were created according unto his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. You're going, what? Well, let me help you. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it like this. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. What is it saying? God is in control of your lives. Come on, church. And everything that pertains to your, your life, your life and your actions. In regards to Paul planning his, the visit to Rome, his planning was subject to God's providence. Paul's intentions were subject to God's will and governance. You know what? Your plans are subject to God's will, church. Our plans are subject to God's will. In fact, are we not told to say, I will do this or do that? If what? If it is God's will. According to God's will. I like what Calvin said in regard to this matter. Man, it just hit me as he said this. He said, quote, You must take this, that is Paul being hindered in his plan to visit Rome, in no other sense but that the Lord implored him, or I'm sorry, employed him in more urgent concerns which he could not have neglected without loss to the church. Now listen to what he says next. Thus, the hindrance of the godly and of the unbelieving differ. Get this. I'm going to go slow. I want you to get this. The hindrance of the godly and the unbelieving differ. Listen. The latter, the unbelieving, perceive only that they are hindered when they in fact are restrained by the strong hand of the Lord so as not to be able to move. But the former, the believer, the godly, are satisfied with an hindrance. Is that true? Are you ever satisfied with a hindrance? Come on. No, be honest. We don't like them, right? We like to plan and go through with our plans. But he says here are satisfied with a hindrance that arises from some approved reason. Approved reason. Listen to what he says. Nor do they allow themselves to attempt anything beyond their duty or contrary to edification. What is Calvin saying? He's saying, he's saying believer, understand this. When hindrances come your way... It is God working. Because God's providence. Often we wrestle ourselves into exhaustion and frustration trying to press through what appears to be a hindrance to our plans. But I planned this. I was going to do this. As Christians, we should be able to discern or at least suspect 
the providence of God? What should be the very first thing we ask ourselves? Start binding the devil out of our circumstances? Come on, church. We should at least suspect the providence of God in the hindrance. I'm persuaded Paul was keenly aware of God's providence in this matter. It didn't affect his desire or his wanting to come, but he knew he was being prevented. Paul eagerly waited, uh, still continuing to pray for God to allow him to get to Rome. He didn't stop praying to go. He just knew because as he continued to pray, at God's time, listen, at God's time and in God's way, these things would happen. That speaks volumes to us, doesn't it? It should. We all know Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his ways, but what? But the Lord establishes his steps. That's you. Providence. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Many of you can stand right now and quote it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Providence. You have been listening to Crosswalk Radio, and that was Pastor Mitch Pridgen, the founding pastor of Crosswalk Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that this sermon has been of tremendous encouragement to you as you have learned more about the Apostle Paul and his gratitude for the saints at Rome. At Crosswalk Church, we are committed to the faithful exposition of God's Word, working verse by verse through various books of the Bible as we teach week by week through the Bible. If you would like to find out more information about Crosswalk Church, or maybe would like to join us one Sunday or Wednesday, we would encourage you to visit our website at crosswalkdaytonabeach.org. That's crosswalkdaytonabeach.org. We thank you for listening today, and we would encourage you to please tune in next time as we continue to teach, touch, and transform lives by faithfully proclaiming God's Word.